You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Uh, welcome to LifePoint this morning. Before we get into the lesson, uh, while I introduce some men to you here, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6. And I want to bring up our two new elders who are here this morning, Luke Jones and Mr. Dave Anderson. Would you come up to the stage? And Tim. So these two men uh, we presented a while back that they were on. Uh, between the two of them, there were only about 281 complaints, and that's wonderful. And so we consider anything under 300 a blessing. And... Uh, no, they, they passed with flying colors. Nothing came in. Here's the truth about it. This is Dave Anderson here and Luke Jones in the black. And what does it mean to be an elder at LifePoint? It's to be a shepherd and an overseer, someone who helps to guide in the spiritual direction of the church, settle disputes, uh, pray over the sick, and just generally govern the affairs of the church. And so these are two men who have demonstrated loyalty and faithfulness who have families who love them and are serving God, who are not prone to drunkenness or anger, and who will also be the first to tell you that they have not achieved perfect, a perfect life. But they are men who I've seen humble themselves before God, repent when they know that they're wrong, and offer to, to sacrifice their time and their life uh, for, at minimum, the next three years to serve LifePoint. And so we want to pray over them, cover them, and pray for their families. So if you'd extend a hand... We're going to pray over them now. Lord, you tell us, your apostle in the scripture, that to be a leader, to be a teacher, is not something that should be eagerly sought after because there will be much required of them. And so, Lord, there is a humility whenever we take any position of leadership on behalf of you. When we, when we say that we will speak on behalf of you, we represent you, Lord. So I pray right now your Holy Spirit will come upon these two men in a new way, in a fresh way, that they would make wise decisions, that they would have discernment for the issues that arise in this church and in the lives of the people here, that you would guard them, Lord, guard their families from the attacks of the enemy, the accuser and the liar, especially over the coming few weeks and months here, how he loves to come to new leaders and act as if he is the lion, act as if he has truth. And so we rebuke that in Jesus' name. He has no place with these men. He has no place in their thoughts and in their soul. Only you do, Lord. We thank you for the gift of their service, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, we'll be doing more for you to get to know them, some more sit-downs and talks so you can know some of these men who are on the board as well. That was Tim Ferrara, our chairman, and also Mark DeSalvo, who are on the board. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, we are talking about the armor of God this morning. And if you were here last week or were listening, listen to last week's message, it was about the powers and the principalities that are talked about here in Ephesians 6. Who is the devil? What are demons? And uh, are they something that we should be afraid of as Christians? No, but they are something we should take very seriously as to who they are, what they are, and what they represent. 
And like C.S. Lewis said, the two biggest errors a believer in Jesus Christ will make is to believe that there is no power in the demonic world or that the devil does not exist or to attribute too much power to him and see him in every trip and stubbing of your toe and every little thing. No, the truth is there's somewhere in the middle that is healthy, an understanding of who our enemy is. And so this morning we're going to look at what God has given us and why it's important for us to equip the armor of God. And I want to say this before we get into this. Whenever you talk about demons and the devil, there tends to be this feeling like we already know or have a predetermined conception on what we believe, right? Would most of you say you already have a belief system about demons in your life? What do you think? Just a head nod, yes or no? Yes? Right? Most of us believe something already about them. Most of us have a, oh, no, they don't do that. That's ridiculous. Or maybe they're not in that, right? Demons aren't in yoga. Demons aren't in horoscopes. Demons aren't in uh, witchcraft. That's all just man-made stuff. And I just, I find it interesting because even as I enter into this now, I know, I know, I know that I'm coming up against some of us who have already like, uh, we'll see what he has to say about this, but I already know what I believe. Which, I just want to challenge you on that. How do you already know what you believe? How, how much of your life have you studied and put time into and spent time before God on this? The truth is, when it comes to demonology, the overwhelming majority of Christians in America, I can't speak for the whole world, but in America for sure, it tends to be something that we got from a parent, we got from a movie, we got from a website, we got from this one pastor one time, we got from an article that was forwarded to us, and we have formed an entire theology around the devil and his minions off of that one thing, right? And so I, I encourage you this morning to know that I, I'm not going to speak anything in front of you here that I don't believe 100% God has anointed me to speak and has brought before. So keep your mind open as we go into this this morning that you would understand why the armor of God is so important. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, once again, he says it again, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Oh, Lord, we pray that your 
Spirit, your Holy Spirit would be here amongst us this morning. That you would give wisdom and clarity and discernment as I speak here. And that you would help us to see something that the enemy would keep us blind to. Be amongst us here this morning. Do not leave us. In Jesus' name, amen. Put on the full armor of God. What does that mean, right? Clearly, this is a metaphor, I hope, right? None of you here are wearing any sort of knight's armor. So it is a metaphor. We can understand that. So Paul's going to use this metaphor, this military language, to help get a concept across of how to defeat the devil. You get this? A military concept. He does not use the concept of a suit or a royal robe or something a king would wear, right? Even though we're called priests and kings. He says, in the battle against the evil one, you will need to come equipped with the full armor of God. Now, in this, Paul is not glorifying war. In fact, it's just the opposite. What he's wanting us to understand is that our enemy is one who is not to be easily trifled with and not easily shot down. So understand and know what you're going up against and be prepared for battle. And so to put on this armor of God means that we follow through, we obey, and we're consistent. We follow through, we obey, and we're consistent. I'm going to explain that here. Now, I don't have time this morning to go through each piece of the armor, the belt, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet, and the shoes, and the sword, and the shield, and all that. that most pastors do month-long sermons to break each of those down. And you can find wonderful uh, books. You can find great study series on what each one means. And after this, if it interests you, go do it. What I want to do this morning as we prepare for our series in Hebrew and understanding, no, not you, Siri, our series. Always listening. Always listening. And then you laughed and Siri laughed. Um, We're going to prepare ourselves here. And so I want us to understand and get, grab a hold of this idea that we would be a church, all of us strong, not me and a couple people in here, but all of us understanding the importance of what Paul is laying before us here. So to put on the full armor of God means I follow through and I obey. This is one thing us modern Americans do not want to hear. We have to submit our will to someone else, not partially, but completely. You have to completely submit. If you were in the military, you understand this concept, don't you? I don't care how you want your hair. I don't care how you want to dress. I don't care when you want to wake up. I don't care what you want to eat, right? You will do as we say, when we say, how we say, and the why does not matter. Why? Because we are your absolute authority. You guys understand this? That's military, right? That's that's what makes the military so great. And then when you get into war, when you're actually in the battle, all of that training, everything that you have already conditioned your mind for pays off. Because you're all thinking, although you are many, like one unit. You all understand exactly what will happen and at what time and how to move on. And when this happens, what to do next. And it's because you were trained that those who are over me, that the general is in charge. And I do not need to ask why. I do not need to 
feel like doing it, I just do it because I'm told to, because I'm no longer operating under my will as an individual citizen. I am now a member of the U.S. military. I'm just one piece in a much larger pie. You guys get this? Paul's using this analogy long before America came along so that Christians would understand what it means to obey. We have lost that. We hate that. No, the fact of the matter is, if we don't get a good explanation, then we leave, or we don't like it, or we cast out the theology altogether, or it doesn't fit, or my cousin does this and that, and I love my cousin, and they're a good person, and according to the Bible, they're a bad person. So I don't like that, and I don't believe God likes that either. Someone tell me why. Does any of this sound familiar when you're talking with God? It's funny because the image of a father gives us this mindset, sort of like how we treat our real parents, where we listen to the rules that we want to, and the ones that they just don't quite understand, we go ahead and we educate them. No, no, it's best for me to stay out till 2 a.m. with a test tomorrow. It's best for me. You don't understand. If I am not socially cool amongst these people who I will spend the next few months within my life, and that's it, then my life is over with. And so because he is our father, we often treat him a child like a father. We demand answers. We demand that he meet needs that we have. And if he doesn't, we pout and we throw fits, and we completely lose sight of who God is. He's called the Father, and yet what do you see Jesus Christ do with every step and every word of his ministry? It's not my will, but what the Father will. I really don't want to go there, Lord. But if that's what you will, I will go. Why? Why can this cup not pass from me, God? I don't need an answer from you. I already know. I will go. You see what I mean? This is what the armor is about. When I put on the belt of truth, when I put on that, it's really the girdle, <laughs> the girdles or something in our culture, we're like, huh? It's the leather piece that goes under. It's the very foundation of all the other armor. And when I put on that, I'm saying, Lord, you are the very foundation. You are the truth that everything else I believe and live my life on is based. This is how that can, the belt can be there and the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, is there. Yes, the Bible is truth and the Word of God, but before that, before that, every direction, everything in your Word that I will read is based on the foundation of the belt of truth, that you are trustworthy, you are true, you are good, and I am small and insignificant in light compared to you, so Lord, help me see Help me see where I have been blind. You see what I mean? You see where this begins to challenge our American delicacies, our poor emotions of being convinced that this is practical for me. Lord, you better show me that it's practical. You better, you better, you better. And I have done this, I have lived this, and I have said this so many times, and it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. 
but it's also part of growing up. You know God isn't embarrassed for you, and he's not humiliated by you. It's part of growing up. And for us as a church and as a people out here, it's time for a lot of us to grow up when it comes to understanding the church, our role in the church, and our relationship to the Father. So we know that if there was an army of people who all demanded answers and would all do their own thing on the day of war, the army would be defeated, right? If the commanding officers said go left and some decided to go right because they didn't like the way the left looked, that army would be easily defeated. It's divided against itself. So what it means to lead a Christian life and to put on the armor of God means that we see Christ, we see the benefits of the gospel, the benefits of God Almighty showing and teaching us exactly what it is to live a life that is blessed. Hashtag. We use them to get a new perspective, a new disposition, a new way of looking at life. And if you are someone in here who is headed down a path of destruction in your life, when you came to God, it was like night and day, wasn't it? When he opened your eyes and you saw a new way to look at life, it was like you were seeing color for the first time. J.I. Packer was a former British evangelical teacher and He used this analogy, and I want to use this analogy so you can understand why the armor for so many of us is hard to put on. Why do we not put on the armor of God? As a kid, I was given the little set, right? The little plastic set you got from the Christian store. We gave the same set, or my in-laws gave the same set to my son when he was a kid. It's the little, it's got this helmet, it's got all the pieces, and he runs around. And as adults, we still look at the armor like that. That little plastic set we wore as a kid. It's wonderful for the children to understand righteousness and truth and faith and salvation. Those are all just metaphors for children to understand. I want you to see why there's so much weakness in the church of God in America. Verse 13, okay, so J.I. Packer would use this analogy of a slave who is set free, right? Verse 13 of what we just read said, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of, day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. So you're supposed to already have the armor on when the battle comes. And so this is what Packer would say. He'd say, if you take a person, and we'll use the Israelites, for example, who was a slave, who had no rights, who could have somebody from Egypt walk up to them, punch them, take their wife, take their valuables, and have zero recourse, Right? Imagine that. Imagine the helplessness, the hopelessness in that situation. No recourse. You have no rights. Now you've been set free. God Almighty set you free and destroyed the army behind you. And you walk out as a free people. And then he's going to uphold you and sustain you. But what happened? What happens is what we throughout history have seen happen with a group of people who were once bound in slavery who have been set free, is they still operate out of a slave's mindset. Even though they're free, they still act and do things as they did as a slave. They still feel as if they have no rights. They still will allow others to trample upon them because it is what they are used to, what they know. Paul says, listen, 
You're not slaves to sin anymore. Amen? You're not slaves to sin anymore. And so in order to help you understand this, you need to actively put on this armor that God has set before you. You need to put as a foundation on your life that truth, that he is the general, he is worthy, you will obey. That must be the very foundation of what you believe. His righteousness then covers you. It replaces the rags you once wore. Do you understand that? You're no longer a slave. You are now clothed in his righteousness. Not just a cloth, but it is a breastplate to block the arrows of the enemy. And then upon your head, over your mind, that mindset that said, I am worthless, I am nothing, I'm hopeless, you now have your salvation. The work of the cross, his death for you. The salvation rests upon my head, my mind. My feet are prepared. The feet that once had nothing on them and were bloody and beat up have now been prepared with shoes, have been fitted to go and take this gospel and share it with others. I have here my shield, the faith that he will come again, that he is who he says he is, that he will come through when the battle is bad. I have the faith, and then I have this weapon that he's handed me called the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, the very words of Jesus Christ the life and the actions, the early church and the apostles' work, the Old Testament and the Israelite people and how God worked through them to bring about the redemption of mankind. And he says, this is how you will defeat the devil. If you keep putting this on every day, every day, keep focusing, stay in the word, stay submitted to the Lord. Don't fall back into a slave mindset. You're no longer a slave. And you see, if I wake up every day and I put on this armor, I cannot wear the armor of God and operate as a slave. You hear me? I cannot wear the armor of God and operate as a slave. The action, the act of taking time each day to sit before God and say, I am yours. You are mine. I am saved. I am redeemed. You've given me power over sin and death. Your Holy Spirit intercedes for me and is with me always. I am never alone. See what I mean? Whatever you came in here today with, whatever is, is tearing you apart or is bringing you down or causing depression or causing anxiety in your life, all of those things are part of a slave mindset, a mentality that says, I am defeated, I am broken. So what, Paul, what is Paul saying, being a Christian is like being a soldier? He's saying, do you realize the peril you're in? Do you see it? Do you understand that apart from Christ, you are doomed? There is no way out, there is no ladder, there is no escape. Do you realize that if you're lazy about using the Bible in your life, if you're not diligent about developing a decent walk and a prayer life, if you allow, and this one is so important, if you allow undealt, undealt with sins to continue to grow in your life, undealt with sins, the sins that nobody knows about, the ones that I don't think are affecting anything that anyone can see, Maybe they're just the sins that you have dealt with, but they're in your past. 
and you've never actually rebuked them, you've never forsaken them, you've never said, God, take these from me, I am no longer defined or bound by them, all you did was stop doing it. If you refuse to put on the armor of God, at some point you're going to be killed, you're going to be spiritually wiped out, you're going to suddenly find yourself tortured and tormented, and here you are, a free man or woman, fully enslaved again. You hear me? Is it possible? Is it possible for a Christian man or woman to become enslaved once again? Here's where we're going to have people who already have their own theology and already know exactly what is true and what is not, even though we've actually spent very little time. Is it possible for a Christian man or woman to become under the slavery, to become under the yoke of the enemy? Yes. I'm going to talk about that here this morning. I want you to see here the difference between someone who is possessed by the enemy and someone who is oppressed by the enemy. You've given access to the enemy into your life. I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. So the New Testament, right? Starting in Matthew, ending in Revelation. Who's it addressed to? Who is all of the New Testament addressed to? Do you know? Yep, heard it. The believers. It's not addressed to unbelievers. Did you know that? It's not addressed to unbelievers. It's not letters in Corinthians to unbelievers to change their life and come to Jesus. How are they supposed to come to Jesus? Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Through your life, your actions, you loving them. And they say, I got to have what you have. See, I've read this and it makes no sense to me. Right? Who are these people? I can't even pronounce their names. I'm supposed to believe some carpenter 2,000 years ago is what every man and woman needs, the billions who have come? I'm supposed to believe that? You see, this is written for the believer to understand who he is, to be given the revelation of who God Almighty is and how he came and intervened in creation. It's given to us for a deeper revelation and a deeper understanding. And then in the New Testament, we're given the letters from Paul to understand how his church works, how the bride of Christ will work together until the bridegroom comes back. That's the purpose of this New Testament. And so we look at verses like Luke, right? 22, 31 through 32a. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to Peter. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Guys, when I go, after my death and my resurrection, and I go back to be with the Father, Satan is coming after you, and he's going to do everything he can to destroy you. But I have prayed for you that your own faith will He did not say, hear me, he did not say, I have prayed for you that he will not sift you. Why didn't you pray that, Jesus? Just pray that he won't come and mess with me at all. Wouldn't that be so much nicer? 
No, Jesus says, you're gonna be sifted. He's gonna mess with you. But because I have prayed for you, your faith will not fail. You see, the enemy can come after Christians. And Jesus right here says, had I not prayed for you, Simon, there's a real chance he would have overtaken you again. You catch that? In fact, I want to keep going with that because we know Simon, the apostle with a foot in his mouth, later on, Jesus says, I must die. I must die. This is the plan. He's been teaching them for three years, the plan. And Simon says, no, I won't let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Simon, you're thinking from the flesh again, not from the spirit. Simon, you've You've stopped putting on my armor and what I am teaching you, and you are back in the flesh. Get behind me, Satan. Then we see Simon take off the ear of the guard, and Jesus has to put it back on and be like, stop doing this. And then Simon's the first to stand up and say, we'll go to prison with you, and Jesus says, you're going to be the first to deny me, and he denies him. You see, you can be saved. You can have Jesus Christ himself be your rabbi, teacher, and friend and still listen to the voice of the devil. Judas Iscariot was taking communion when the devil came to him and spoke to him. And he got up and left. You hear me? If you think because you're in church, if you think because you go to church or you listen to Christian music that you are off the devil's radar, that you are doing whatever it is to stay clean, I encourage you this morning to understand there's a reason Paul picked armor and the military for us to understand who our enemy is and what we are up against. So there comes this thing, oppression versus possession. And it says uh, in Matthew 10, 19 through 20, Matthew 10, 19 through 20, when they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time, for it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You see, when we equip ourselves with the armor of God, we learn to discipline the voice of God from that of an imposter. 2 Corinthians 11.4, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus other than the one that we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit, hear me on this, if you have received a different spirit from the one you received when I was there, or even a different gospel you have begun to accept, and you have gone off track. What I want to point out here, and why I'm giving you these verses, is to understand this. That God's Holy Spirit, when we say, Lord, be Lord of my life, comes in and speaks with, and speaks and communes with our spirit. We are spirit and we are flesh. We are mind, right? Mind, body, spirit. Mind is often interpreted as soul, spirit, soul, body. We are these three entities. The soul is the mind. We've got this conscience. We hear things that nobody's saying to us, right? You have thoughts coming in and going out. You've got our physical bodies. We've got the spirit. 
Before Christ came into your life, and this was something that I got yesterday, which I loved, and it tied in exactly with what we were doing today. Were you operating out of the spirit or out of your soul? What do you think? Your soul. You, you can operate out of your spirit. You want to know why? This is awesome. And actually, they didn't say this in the podcast, but I loved it. Because before Christ, you were what in your transgressions? Dead. Your spirit was dead apart from Jesus Christ resurrecting. You hear me? And so when we act in the flesh, we act out of our soul. And that is what the devil comes and wants to infiltrate in our life. He knows he can't touch the spirit, but he can speak into the soul of man. Think about the decisions you've made in your life, the ones that bring pain to you, the ones that bring addiction and habitual pain that doesn't seem to go away. They didn't come from the spirit. They came from the soul. They came from an accuser and a liar who told you your life would be better if. First Timothy 4.1 now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will renounce their faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Can a, can a person be oppressed by a demonic spirit who is a believer, who is a Christian? 100% absolutely. What's the difference? I want to use the analogy that the pastor Vladimir uh, Suchek, Suchek uses, which is, I have a house, I own the house. He said, I have people who come and stay with me and live with me for seasons. They have access to a bedroom, they have access to the kitchen, and access to the living room. But they don't have access to my master bedroom. I am the owner of the house. But I have given these people access to my home for a season and a period of time. You see, when you get into things like witchcraft or sorcery or palm reading, you literally open the door to your spiritual house and say, come on in. Satan cannot own you. You own the house. You've just given him lease in your house. You've given him rooms. You've given him space to operate. You've allowed porn to come in your life, and you're like, what's the matter? It's not a big deal. It's just me. It's private. No one knows about it. It's not messing with anything. Pornography is an open door, and you've just said, here you are. Here's a room in the house of my spirit. Here's a place. I've invited you in. And this is what happens. This is why the church is so dead in America, because we are believers who have been saved, who are children of God, and yet we've opened up our spirits to receive all the demonic influence this country can give. With the promise that it'll help with boredom, with the promise that it'll help with pleasure or some sort of job or popularity or an understanding of the future will bring peace to me. Why? Because my God won't give me an understanding, so I'll go to the stars or the psychic or a book where there is a spiritual guru telling me about an inner peace that I can find through some sort of meditation. See what I mean? They all seem so innocuous. None of it is pitchforks and child sacrifice and crazy demonic stuff and chanting, is it? 
It's actually super, super normal for our culture. Everything I just mentioned. The practice of yoga. <gasps> Not yoga, don't touch that. The very practice of yoga is to what? Empty your mind. Do meditation. Why do you think the enemy wants your mind empty? Right? What's the Bible say? The Bible also says to meditate. What do we do in meditation according to Scripture? We fill our mind with the Word of God. During meditation, I meditate on the Word of God. I fill my mind with His Word. I do not empty my mind. But you see the difference? How subtle it is? How small it is? How Christians grab onto something that is not overtly demonic and it's just a workout and we've even changed the name of it and then we'll get mad at a church that supports it or doesn't support it. See what I mean? 2 Corinthians 6.14, how do you tell the difference between a demonic spirit and the Holy Spirit? We're going to end on this. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get, yeah. (laughs) You guys are probably bored anyway and want to go home, so I'll just end now. We won't do that last part. How can you tell the difference between a demonic spirit and the Holy Spirit speaking to you? 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship is there between light and darkness? And I love this as something that was said by this pastor yesterday. Can darkness exist in a Christian full of the Holy Spirit? Right? And we've used this, and maybe you've heard this said. Darkness cannot exist where there is light, therefore a demon cannot be in the house of a Christian because the Holy Spirit is there, right? And we use this verse. Have you ever heard that? Anybody? Darkness cannot exist, and it's the reason why demons can't have influence. Well, first of all, one thing I loved was what he was pointing out is he's talking about marriage. He's saying this is not a concept for the world. This is in marriage, do not be unmatched. Why? Because you're both going to have different directions you want to go in life, and marriage is the combining of your souls. And yet the perspective you both have on life is in opposite directions. So do not become unequally yoked. He also doesn't say that you cannot become unequally yoked, does he? A Christian can marry a non-Christian, can't we? Come on, give me something here. I know it's... Yes, Pastor Nathan. So he's not saying you can't. He's saying you shouldn't. So this whole idea that a Christian cannot become under the influence of demonic spirits being based on the light and darkness theory is garbage. And then we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Christ died on the cross, every man, woman, and child was justified through his death. The penalty for sin had been paid. Right? But the sanctification in our lives is ongoing. It's continuing. It will always be there. As long as you draw breath, you are being sanctified. And in the midst of the sanctification, God has seen fit to allow the devil and his demons to sift us like wheat. But he said, I do not leave you unprepared. I do not leave you without a weapon or without defense. I have given you my righteousness. I have placed upon you my truth and my salvation. 
I give you the faith that I had. Jesus Christ, right? If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell these mountains to get up and move. And I give you the shield of faith. I give you my faith if you would just pick it up and receive it. And what most of us do as believers is we don't know any of this. And so we try to walk out our faith upon our own strength. We try to work out our morals and our salvation in our own strength. We try to do things to please God in hopes that he will then, in some sort of karma effect, give us blessing. Challenge you this morning. I challenge you, I challenge you, take these words, go home, and try to prove me wrong. Because in your attempt, you will at least begin to study and get into it and seek God and pray in his spirit. And if you're doing any of that, you are on the right road. So many Christians have become Christians because they were out to prove him wrong. This isn't a game we're playing. I invite the band up here and I want to say this as we close. We often want to use common sense, rational logic, and willpower to overcome demonic influences in our lives. Rational sense, logic, common sense, logic, and will, willpower, right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. Things could be worse. Well, there's no sense in getting mad over this. It's just a thing. Those are all tactics we use to tend to overcome the devil's strategies. And I want to just tell you, none of those will work in the long run against the devil. God's Holy Spirit and the Holy Trinity in your life alone will work. That's it. Everything else is a stall tactic. Everything else the devil will use to defeat you. He is a being of an angelic order, but he is inferior to the Trinity. He is defeated by Jesus Christ. You cannot lose against the devil when you keep the armor of God when you don't allow any rooms in your spiritual house to be rented out, when you take captive the thoughts that come in and accuse you and lie to you. I'm going to close with this Keller illustration, and then we're going to partake of communion. If you didn't get the cup and the bread, they're in the back. Tim Keller, when talking on the, in, in the 90s, when he was talking on the armor of God, he gave an illustration at the end of his sermon. He said there were two ladies in his church both who recently just had their husbands leave them. One of the ladies just had her child, a teenage child, I believe, die. And then within weeks of each other, they were both diagnosed, one with cancer, the other with uh, leukemia. I mean, just, oh my gosh, how many bad things can happen to one person in a short amount of time? And he goes to visit them both in the hospital, and the one, the first one he visits is so full of joy, and she's in so much pain, constant pain, but there is just joy in her life, and she asks him how he's doing, and he, she just radiates it, and the nurses see it. And then he visits the other one, and he said it was really tough to visit her because she knows the other lady, and they were communicating in the hospital, and she says, Pastor, why don't I have the joy that she does? What is wrong with me? I'm a believer. I'm a daughter of Christ. Why doesn't he give me that same joy? And he said he didn't know how to answer. How do you answer that? 
But he said, later the Lord revealed to him, you see, the first woman had been putting on the armor of God, not just playing Christian. She'd been putting it on every day, every week of her life, so when the battle came, she already had the armor on. She was prepared. The other woman was thrown into the battle and was attempting last minute as quickly as she could to put on the armor. Remember her righteousness, remember her salvation, remember God's goodness, and she's trying to get prepared. But the battle is already upon her, and it is beating her down and defeating her. I hate to leave a dire consequence or situation in your mind, but we must understand it's not a game. It's not a game. That's the difference. Both women experiencing the same situation. One walking through it with peace and joy and the other one completely petrified and worried. Both believers. You see, this isn't about a believer and an unbeliever. These are two daughters of Christ. That he's allowed to be sifted like wheat so that through the sifting they might know him, that they might be sanctified, and that they will come out the other end being better for Let's pray. I believe there are some in here this morning. Actually, I, I know there are some in here this morning that have engaged in the things of the demonic. Maybe you didn't know they were. Maybe you were never taught or understood. You've allowed those rooms of your house to be occupied. I encourage you this morning not to leave this place until you come and talk with our prayer partners. We have prayer partners up front. We have prayer partners in the back at our prayer room. There's a prayer room right over here in the corner. You can go and talk with them. You can pray with them. But why in the world would you walk out of this place and go another day allowing that demon to reside in your house? Father, help us, Lord, your spirit right now move upon us, Lord, to those in here who need to cry out, who need to fall on their knees, who came here today with a bondage that they just learned they could be free of if only they would look up to you, reach out. Lead this church, Lord. May we be a church of warriors? Would we stand shoulder to shoulder with our armor on, prepared for whatever may come? May our investments not be in the banks, but may they be in you and your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to put you at the forefront of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. We're going to partake of communion at any time. You can get up and you can come and talk with a prayer partner. You can go to the back during the final worship song. When we stand, you can come up. So I encourage you to do that. We take communion every Sunday because we are God's body and we are gathered together. And as he was with his disciples in that upper room, he said, when you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. He took bread and he broke it amongst them. And he said, this is my body. This is my body. 
flesh of God Almighty. He gave praise. So, Father, we thank you for the body of your son, Jesus. We thank you how you entered into history and time in order to buy us back, to redeem us. What an unending love. We bless this bread now in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture then states that he took the cup and he let him know, this is my blood. This is the new covenant you will be under. With me dying and rising again, the old covenant will have been fulfilled and you will live under this new covenant. And then he blessed it. Heavenly Father, we bless the juice now as we remember your blood how it covers our sin and our shame. I can wear the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness because of it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink together.